Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 55, Groundwork for Character Development. Recorded Thursday, January 22nd of 2015, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. And we're back. So, do we have any news this time? Uh, you do. Yeah, I do. I am still published in Sojourn Volume 2, which is out now. It's available from Amazon and uh, also from my day job, Barnes & Noble. I have a short story called Winter Mercy in there. Uh, this is the second time I've been published, and the first was in the first volume of the Sojourn Anthology. So if you're at all interested in my writing, go check those out. Uh, should be pretty easy to find. Yep, and I know they are preparing to take submissions or are taking submissions on Sojourn Volume 3, where the theme is memories. So if you're interested in that, head over to the Fear of the Boot forums to learn more about it. I think you can learn about it at, uh, what's the URL, sojournanthology.com or something like that? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll find it and stick it in the show notes. It's a good thing that they're doing that because I'm working on the rough draft of something for Volume 3 this week, actually. And it is, by the way, sojournanthology.com. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, you had a request in here? Yes, I did. So as you know, we, like most podcasts, get a ton of benefit from reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere else you happen to listen to the podcast from. So if you're a listener of the show and you haven't reviewed us, we would love an honest review from you on your platform of choice. Honest, in this case, does not mean necessarily five stars. If If, if you're a listener of ours and you want to rate us one star for something other than funsies. You know, if you've got a serious critique that says, no, you know what? I think these guys really deserve a one star review. That's fine. But reviews help us a ton. They give us feedback and they help new people find the show because a quantity of reviews helps promote the podcast on whatever network you're looking at and brings it to people's attention. Every single review incrementally boosts that. So it's a huge help to us. And of course, you know, if you like the show, if you like what we do, share it out uh, on social media. Just, you know, say, hey, here's a thing that I like to listen to, and I think you'd get a kick out of it, or something more thoughtful than that. It's been a long week already, and I'm a little fuzzy. I apologize. But, <laughs> well, and heck, I mean, find us on social media and say hello. Yeah. We had a we listener like that do that too. Had a listener do that this week. They had a question for us, and uh, I have no problem taking a fair bit of time to answer questions. So I enjoy it a lot. Last bit of this, if you've got a topic you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Post it on social media, you know, on our Facebook page as a message or a post on the page or in our Google Plus community or our Google Plus page. Tweet it at us. Email us. You know, grant it savingthegamepodcast.org. Send that to us and we'll put it on our list of things to do. I can't promise we're going to get to it immediately. Aside from our usual delay between recording and episodes actually dropping, we do have other stuff lined up. But we will try and get to it pretty quickly, especially if there's something urgent. We like hearing that sort of thing because it lets us know what people are doing out there aside from the games that Peter and I are both in. <laughs> yeah. Kind of it doesn't help having both hosts in the same game now that I think about it. Well, you know, that's the that's the downside of podcasting with your friends. Yeah, it's true. All right. I think that's all the announcements we have. Peter, do you want to start us off on our scripture? Sure. The first passage we have is Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And our second piece of scripture is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the topic we wanted to talk about tonight was character development, and specifically laying groundwork for character development when you're starting a game and creating a character. Because I think setting yourself up for that sort of character development as the game progresses is really valuable and eliminates a lot of headaches and heartaches down the road. And I think it also stops some common problems that people have, uh, some common complaints that people have about other players or themselves when they're creating characters or certain games that lend itself to this. So it's something that we kind of wanted to talk about, and I wanted to talk about it in particular for two reasons. It came up in RPG Chat, and I don't know if everybody who listens to this knows what RPG Chat is, and they should. RPG Chat is a hashtag used on Twitter. It's kind of generally used for gamers to kind of talk about stuff throughout the week. But on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central, or 3 p.m. Eastern and 9 p.m. Eastern, there is a organized chat where the people who organize this particular thing come up with topics or take topics and say, hey, here's a topic, let's talk about it. And they sort of prime the discussion and get everybody going. That's usually a lot of fun, too. I need to remember to participate more often. A couple of times that I have, it's Yeah, I actually good. have it on my calendar. Oh, really? Yeah, just because it's a lot of fun. Uh, usually I'm doing something during the nine o'clock, so I rarely get to participate in that, but it's still a lot of fun. At any rate, it came up in there when somebody was complaining. We were talking about role-playing, and somebody was saying, I can't get my characters to role-play change. Their characters don't change. You mean your players to role-play change? Yes, yes. Players okay. will not role-play <laughs> change in their characters. And we kind of batted it around for a little bit, and I think that what we came up with was that they had written a backstory, and that was their character. And anything that was different from what they had written in their backstory was not their character. It's not playing to their character. And they hadn't left any room for their character to change and grow the way a protagonist should or a real person changes. And the other thing that got me thinking about this was watching Sword Art Online with my wife. We're slowly working through that. And yes, I know I'm a couple years behind anime geeks who love it and love all the other shows. We're trying. I promise. All right. We're trying to catch up. Toddler. But Chrissy and I were noting that in Sword Art Online, the two protagonists do a good job of developing through the show and becoming different, better people. And better maybe isn't the word, but they go from their starting point and develop as people as they go through the story rather than characters who let the story sort of happen around them and it never touches them. So I wanted to talk about this and how to set it up, because this is one of those things that I think makes games really valuable, especially the way that we always talk about games as kind of a, a testing ground for your own personality or a way to bring things to the table that you want to explore. Right. If you want to say, hey, I want to explore this in my game, being unaffected by that thing doesn't help you explore it. Right. So I, I think it's important. And I think also you'll just tell better stories and have more fun in your game if you say, hey, this is my starting point, but it's not where I'm stopping. Sure. I mean, if, if you look at any good popular fiction out there, 
Uh, I'll use two examples, but there are, you know, hundreds, thousands, probably hundreds of thousands. Yeah, most of, examples. of them, if they're good, yeah. Yeah, if, unless they're really short, and e sometimes even then. Oh, yeah. Avatar The Last Airbender comes to mind. All of those characters go through some pretty major growth. Uh, one of them switches sides entirely and uh, has very good reasons for doing so. A lot of them grow up at least somewhat. They develop into much more kind of wizened and thoughtful people over time in a lot of cases. And then the other one is one that probably just about everybody listening to this will appreciate is Star Wars. Um, in particular, I'm thinking of Han Solo, who starts out as kind of a bad dude, at the very least an amoral, uncaring dude, and by the end is not only unequivocally a good guy, but he's been given a lot of power and responsibility, and it fits based on what he's done earlier in the fiction. It's not just the, you know, he's he's got the player character thing hovering over his head, so here's all the rewards that come with being important in the story with dramatic capitals, but he actually goes through an arc. Right. It turns out surprisingly well in the sense of, you know, he's a much more beloved character, I would say, than, what, Luke Skywalker? Yeah. yeah. And some of that Probably is the Probably anybody himself. else in the series, really. Yeah, and some of that's the character himself. You know, everybody loves the funny, wisecracking Harrison Ford. Well, but, and, yeah, I was going to say, being played by Harrison Ford doesn't hurt, but... Right. But we kind of feel for him because, hey, you know, he's he's gone from somebody we were a little iffy about to... Happy-go-lucky dude on our side. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about how to do this. I think we've hit on part of this before, using your backstory as a starting point. And this is what I was getting into on RPG Chat. I think a lot of people create a backstory. And it's, I think this is especially true of players who like to write and like writing backstories. They come up with this long, involved backstory and really clearly define your character ahead, you know, before the game starts. So they've got a really good idea of who he is. But that is because they love that backstory so much, they don't want to get away from that backstory. So I think it's important to use the backstory as a starting point rather than a clear-cut definition of your character in all circumstances. Well, and I think one way that you can do this that's fairly easy is... Have some major life-changing event have happened right before the events of the campaign start. Mm -hmm. You know, this this character finished his rite of passage into adulthood, got married, joined his paladin order, um, you know, had a loved one die, moved to a different place. There's any number of things that can have had, you know, earth-shaking effects in a person's life. And if you set that right before... The events of the campaign, like, you know, a couple of days or, you know, I'd say probably even up to a year before, that gives the person kind of an inherent state of flux that they're starting in, that they can then grow out from. And if they're a different person from what's described in the backstory, well, that's that's natural. That's human. That happens a lot. Yeah. The exact period of time is going to depend on the game. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and a whole bunch of other factors. Sure. I mean, you know, a little while ago for an elf that lives for 10,000 years is going to be a lot different than a little while ago for a Solarian from Mass Effect that it might make it to 40. Yeah. So and if, if your GM yeah. is one of those who does the little one-on-one uh, -on -one prequel role-playing things, uh, White Wolf was big on this for a long time, uh, where you do a little one-on-one -on -one role-play session. It's not very long, but enough to kind of get you into your character and introduce the GM to your character and kind of set the stage and let the GM bring a little something to the table. 
One of the best ideas they ever had. Yeah, it's yeah. a great time to have something like this happen. Get this life-changing moment done in character so that you go through that emotional change and perspective change so that you say, aha, my character is shaken up off balance in some way and has to settle back out into a different person. And leaving room to grow when you write that backstory or write that personality is pretty important. Somebody who's perfectly satisfied in all particulars isn't really going to do much. And frankly, they're not going to go out and adventure or get involved in events unless something happens to them. Yeah. I describe that as creating a backstory with momentum, right? They have something going on. They are already headed in a particular direction rather than having no momentum in any particular direction and having to be pushed and building up inertia in that way. One other thing that I would throw in here before we get too deep into some of the other specifics is make sure that you've got buy-in from your group that they want to do this kind of a game. If you have a bunch of people that all they want to do is basically play tabletop Diablo, you're going to have a hard time doing this. Well, On the other hand, if you get a bunch of people that are very invested in this idea and make it a conscious thing, it's going to make it a whole lot more frictionless than it would be otherwise because people will be thinking about it from the get-go. That's true. I will say I think you can make it happen even in a tabletop hack-and-slash kind of game. Sure, but it's not going to be as easy. It's not <laughs> going to be as easy, don't get me wrong, but it can certainly happen. I think also, and this is uncontrollable, but it's worth acknowledging, table chemistry is going to factor in majorly here. Yeah. The times when I've seen a lot of really good character growth in games have been the times when I've had the best table chemistry with the rest of the group. The current Savage Run game has had a decent amount of character development. Mm. Uh, the Ravenloft game that I talked about had a huge amount of it, but it was kind of set up for that. Right. Um, yeah, and the Savage Run game really wasn't set up for that in a lot of ways. Uh, no, it's I was just... designing it as an episodic, hey, let's go have fun kind of game. And there has been some character development and more is coming, but that's not really what we were after when we started that game. It wasn't. It's been kind of a pleasant additional thing that we've yeah. gotten out of it because the group gets along so well and the characters have kind of... They've kind of evolved as we've we've explained it as just kind of getting to know who they are better. Mm -hmm. But things like, oh, for instance, Frost's desire to work an honest day's labor was never part of his backstory when I was writing it. No, and it's funny, it just but came it's up also from neat in jokes. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that brings up something else. When you're trying to find a way to create your character's backstory so that it has this momentum. Think about the time frame over which the character needs to change. And I mean that in both the plot and in the real world. If you're going through a short period of in-game time, how much can you actually pack into that period of time without having the spotlight all to yourself the entire game? Depends on how intense it is, I guess. Yeah, I probably, mean, Probably, but I mean, not just in terms of quality, but quantity. Can you become a completely different person over three days. Uh, in a novel, events are suitably traumatic, in sure. In a novel, perhaps, in a role-playing game, it would be tough. But that gets to the second question. How much real-world time do you have with that character? Yeah. If this is a one-shot horror game, you may well have plenty of trauma for that character to become a different person, but you're not going to get a lot of time to really explore it. No, the character is either going to survive or they're not. Right. Well, and you may have get a moment at the end of the game to say, so uh, this is what happens to my character. They 
go into this field or they become a crazy hobo ranting about it on the streets or they get really obsessed with this in a creepy way or uh, they dedicate their lives to fighting whatever evil they encountered, you know, whatever backstory comes of it. Or I guess not backstory, but front story, front story. (laughs) Yes, we've invented a new term, the epilogue, essentially, of the game. But if you don't have time to explore that, if it's a con game or a two or three session one shot, you're just not going to have a lot of time to explore that. So while you could probably have a big qualitative change happen, you couldn't have lots and lots of different changes happen to one character, have someone end up being a completely different person in all respects. It just seems unlikely. Is there somebody out there who's done it? Probably. I'm not going to try and speak for every gaming group, but when you're thinking about this ahead of time, if this is a a short game, maybe leave a few places where you can change, but don't try and pack lots and lots and lots of opportunities for change in and try and hit them all up. Yeah, leave a few feet to change, not a few miles. Right. And by the same token, if you're expecting this to be a long campaign, go for it, right? Leave yeah. lots of different hooks for the GM hooks for other players, uh, hooks for yourself, and start building off of those. Have fun with it and see where you end up. And that, I think, gets to the last thing that we wanted to talk about in terms of methods and techniques here, and that is simply letting events change your character. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I think a lot of times we have a tendency to say, and as I said before, this is my character. If I don't play to the character, I'm not role-playing well. It's kind of the sort of good side of, well, it's what my character would do. And it's what my character would do is often an excuse for being a jerk at the table. But I think a lot of times it's an attempt to role-play well, which is really just... Yeah, there's a big difference between I want to do this horrible thing and I'm trying to be narratively consistent. Right. And consistency is fine. And... I think there will always be some core element of a character that sticks around through the the wildest change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean even, you're not rewriting the character, you're changing the character. At least you're probably not usually rewriting the character. Right. Every once in a while, somebody goes through a life-changing event that kind of flips their entire personality on its ear, but it's, well, sure, it's but, rare. I mean, it is still the same character recognizable, if only in a mirror. Yeah. But when you let the events that take place in the game affect your character in different ways, it's you build relationships with those events and the people involved in them, which is always good, right? That's great role-playing. But more to the point, it is better role-playing than letting your character stay unaffected by whatever has happened, because that's just not all that realistic. Well, and that yeah, that's not how humans process things. I mean, yeah, stuff will happen in your day that that won't affect you. But whenever big events happen, I, I don't know about you, but they generally tend to affect me for good or for ill. You know, if, sure. I, if I get a raise at work, that affects me. I'm happy about that. I make, you know, changes in my financial habits. I make plans based on that. If my car breaks down, that affects me. I have to deal with it. I have to decide whether I want to repair or replace. I, you know, it's if I get into an argument with my wife or we have a, you know, really nice weekend together, that'll affect our relationship. And it's Right. And some of those things you listed are not big things. A nice weekend with your wife. It's very pleasant, but it's not a huge life-changing experience the way that we always think about them when we're writing no. or telling stories. But it definitely affects you. Yeah. And maybe it only affects you temporarily. Maybe it affects you permanently. Yeah. It it really it's it's funny some of the 
the big and little things that our psyches choose to latch on to. Yeah. And I think we always kind of instinctively know this because think about all the character development moments you've seen where some seemingly little thing resonates with the character and they get an aha moment and have that moment of development. Sometimes it's, you know, a big thing, but sometimes it's a little thing, you know, oh, I saw this little girl handing out flowers and boom, that was, that was it. Sometimes it's a culmination of everything that's happened to the character up to that point, but it's that little thing that makes you go, ah, I get it now. We, yeah. we have those in fiction all the time. So I think it's okay to make sure that those happen in the game. And when something happens, don't be afraid to change your character a little bit or let your character change naturally. And I think one of the other things that we want to get to with this is relationships with the other PCs are a huge engine for this, and they should be. Yes. Um, you have in the outline, don't let the campaign's villain be your only foil. We've got a little bit of that in the Savage Run game. Crash and Frost kind of very friendly rivals to each other in certain ways, mostly about how stuff gets done and what ethical measurements are going to be used and stuff, but they play off of each other. They disagree. They mm -hmm. they have generally very friendly arguments, and that produces development for both characters. Yes, yeah, it really does. I want to do an episode about foils at some point, but a foil in narrative terms is a character who highlights some aspect of your protagonist. So to pick Hamlet as an example, Horatio highlights Hamlet's philosophical side. When Horatio is around, Hamlet talks philosophically to him. When other characters are around, Ham Hamlet behaves differently. But it's a chance to show off that particular side of a character. So the relationships that your character has with the other characters at the table or important NPCs, those characters are potentially foils for you. So your character, Frost, and the other character, Crash, you have completely different goals, theoretically. But because it's a friendly relationship, you sort of highlight aspects of each other's character. When he's around, it shows off that little bit of viciousness that you have, even if only in contrast. Yeah. Or Crash is like, oh, no, it's cool. I'll just live out of my van. It's not a problem because it's Shadowrun and this is what I do. Whereas when your character's around, it's like, oh, fine, all right, I'll think about living somewhere. It's fine. Or, <laughs> yeah. no, don't be silly. Why would I live anywhere? I have my laundry right here. It's great. Yeah. There's other little things, too, where it's like, the third character, Miyako, played by your wife, she kind of keeps both of both of these slightly more pragmatic and ruthless characters from indulging in that when they shouldn't. Right. We actually had this come up in the game. You guys were getting ready to go down the, the Shadowrun route of, let's just kill them all and sort it out. And your character was like, we are not going to just kill a whole bunch of people. But they're thugs. No. Yeah, they're organ leggers, in fact. Nope. Okay. All right, back to the drawing board. <laughs> Wait, I've got it. Beer truck. Yeah. And then, you know, crazy hijinks ensued from there. And it was good because she highlighted two things, right? The kind of ruthlessness that you guys have, but also the core part of these two characters, which is we don't really like killing. And that's what makes us interesting and unique because most Shadowrunners are like, eh, murder, whatever. Yeah. So letting other characters be your foil is important. And when you only have emotional reactions to the villain, it gets boring, especially when the villain isn't showing up all the time. And really, the villain shouldn't be showing up all the time because that gets really contrived. It, yeah, this is not an episode of a Saturday morning cartoon. 
you know, where Shredder is mocking or yelling at the turtles angrily every episode. The other one that I want to toss in here is just roll with things if it seems fitting. The Frost wants to work an honest regular job thing was not nearly as big of a part of his character when I envisioned him and created him as it was after the first run because we did some scouting by working a shift as temp workers and the other character really gave him the business about it afterwards and continues to do so. So we kind of, I don't know, agreed unconsciously that that was going to be part of his character going forward and we've stuck with it. And it's actually made for some interesting content later in the game. So, well, you bought into it, which was nice. Yeah. And not only did you buy into it, you sort of took it and ran with it and you've had it come up again in game rather than just saying, yeah, that's part of his character. It's it's part of his character. And here's how it affects his actions going forward. Yeah, it was a neat trait that I hadn't thought of, but it was very fitting with the rest of who he was. Sure. I mean, he's he is essentially working illegal jobs until he can get back to the the legal jobs, <laughs> you know, put his khakis back on and his polo shirt and get back to the office. Yeah. Go punch his time clock again. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, he's ex-military and stuff, so he likes the organization and. Yeah. Yeah. But there's something to that that I think really resonated. So you didn't just say, oh, yeah, that's a funny joke. You said, you're right. How does that affect what he does? So it worked really well. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about some some examples of this, and we've talked about some general ideas of how to do this. As it happens, both Peter and I are really behind on something that we promised our Legend of the Five Rings GM, and that's coming up with characters. Yes, or we are. Coming up with character backstories. So since we're here, Peter, do you want to go through these two characters and kind of come up with backstories for them that lay this groundwork? And keep in mind that we're looking at a short campaign for these characters, a couple of sessions at most. Probably about a half dozen tops. Uh, tops, and maybe as short as three is my guess. Yeah. I mean, our, our crab one was, what, four? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. All right, so and a little bit I actually bit of... wasn't terribly satisfied with my crab character, so he was no, angry, and that was about it. Well, it was also the first time that we were trying this. Very true. All right, so a quick little bit of backstory for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, what we're doing here. One of our listeners is running us through a game, kind of a tour of the clans in Legend of the Five Rings, which is a pseudo-medieval Japanese feudal Japan setting with lots and lots of magic and movie samurai themes. A lot of fun, great setting. The fourth edition books are beautiful and have a lot of good design advice, well worth picking up. Happy Jacks is really fond of this setting and game. Yeah, they did um, they uh, an actual play. They did an actual play for a while. There are a number of them because it is a, a pretty dramatic, evocative setting. Anyway, so what we're doing, because we didn't want to really commit to one particular clan, is kind of going through creating characters in every clan, doing a story with those characters, and then putting them down and going on to the next clan. There's a bunch of these clans that all emphasize different things. I think there's, what, a eight, seven, uh, like seven nine? Eight. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. Uh, not worth looking up. But we're on to the Dragon Clan, which is kind of the... Shaolin Clan. They're up in the mountains. They've got kind of more of a mystical bent to them. I can't argue with that. That's pretty much what they are. They're the Kung Fu Clan. Uh, lots of meditating monks on hillsides and under waterfalls. Tattooed, magical, punchy dudes. 
That's what they are. So your character is, in fact, a weird, tattooed, punchy, magical dude, and that's about all we have from him. Yeah, so what I've what I've basically got is really fairly equivalent to a D&D character with the monk class. He's good with a staff in his fists, he's able to jump really high, and he's a little more resistant to punishment than the average person who's not wearing armor. That's about it. You'll notice that none of those say anything about his personality, his background, you know, the relationships in his life or anything like that. Yep. So I was originally picturing this guy as a little bit on the, I think the phrase I used was Shaolin Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's Kind of on the gruff and taciturn side. Yeah. And you like making taciturn characters, which is kind of a problem. I like making taciturn characters in L5R because I don't know the setting all that well. Yes, but making characters who don't talk in a game with two-player characters is a bit of a problem. Yeah, so I should probably uh, I should probably drop that. Well, I don't know about drop it, but just think about that. You know, maybe they don't talk a lot, but maybe they do a lot. They act things out, or they they are very proactive in getting things done. Maybe they just are sparing with words, right? Which is something that I personally am not very good at. I tend to be very verbose and flowery in my speech. As somebody who edits the podcast, I can tell you that I talk a lot more than you. You may you may talk more than me, but the way that I speak is a bit more flowery and less to the point yeah. than yours is. We're not going to argue about who knows more adjectives and uses them in speech. That's that's just silly. <laughs> no, that's that's a completely useless discussion that we can have off the mic sometime. Yeah. Okay, so I guess, um, since you're kind of the setting expert here, these monks in these temples, what do they do afterwards? Kind of what role do they play with the Dragon Clan? Because I'm a little fuzzy on that and haven't really had time to do the reading. Right. So one of the ways that you get these monks into this brotherhood is simply by retirement. Okay. Somebody has been ashamed. It's not something where they're going to commit seppuku or anything like that, but I've been forced to take an early retirement. Uh, I shave my head and enter a monastery, but I'm still physically fit, so maybe that's a thing. Or you've been intrigued by the idea and you just go into the monastery uh, rather than following in what your clan would normally do. And if that happens at an early enough age, nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, you know, you're totally betraying our clan and the dragon clan. It's just that's what kids do. Yeah. Or you have some particular talent that makes people think we really don't need him in the army. We don't need him as a samurai. He'd make a really good monk. Right. So okay. the question then is, what is that? And is that still the case for you? Is it just you're really gymnastic and kind of wise beyond your years? Or is there something more to it? Yeah, if I'm going to if I'm going to stick with the Clint Eastwood, I'm going to go a little bit more for the character in Gran Torino than one of his Westerns, mm-hmm. which is to say a guy that's a little older, maybe not old, old, but uh, kind of middle aged. A little bit crusty, maybe kind of disillusioned with the way that samurai culture operates from an early age, which is why he became a monk in the first place, mm-hmm. and um, kind of wants to do something useful with his life and tends to be consulted for things, so it kind of fit, but maybe isn't entirely happy with the situation. Right. I know one of your disadvantages is ascetic. Yeah. So maybe you just are much more ascetic than even most samurai and you know samurais are supposed to not like material goods they're not supposed to have those attachments it's unseemly it's kind of it's what merchants do with the exception of the mantis clan because that's their flaw maybe for you you really take that to an extreme and while you're not you know out there flagellating yourself you are the i'm gonna go stand under this cold waterfall for four hours kind of guy 
Yeah, I, I think maybe he just really doesn't like the courtly stuff and the trappings and, you know, the armor and the swords and the ornamental paper and the calligraphy and it's just... Right. No. Well, <laughs> okay. Now, let me let me throw another idea out there for you. You've got haunted as a disadvantage. Yes, I do. And that's that going to be an important one. That screams plot and backstory and something that can give you your character direction, right? Why are they haunted? What are they trying to do to get rid of it? What does the ghost that's haunting them want, etc.? Okay. So one of the things that I was thinking is that he actually wasn't trying to get rid of it. Okay. The the ghost is a little bit of a nag and is definitely, you know, inconvenient. But despite that, maybe the ghost is one of the few people that he really gets along with or that really understands him. I was thinking maybe like another monk ancestor of his that's kind of like a, a harsh sensei that he just can't leave. <laughs> okay, why are they haunting him? What does the ghost want? And that's where I ran into a snag, because I can't think of anything. You got any ideas based on the setting? Well, I mean, there's always the ghost wants revenge, right? Hamlet's father. Yeah, it's kind of played out, though. I was almost thinking he did something to wake the ghost up, and now he's just stuck with it for a period of years. You know, I like the idea that the ghost is why he went into a monastery in the first place. Okay. It's basically going to the temple for spiritual protection. Yeah, that could work. You know, actually, I wonder if maybe, like, he inadvertently or accidentally desecrated some kind of a shrine or something. He cracked some piece of pottery or something like that when he was a kid. I don't know that that would be the ghost's motivation, though. That would be more like a curse. This is the ghost wants something and only your character can do it. Hmm. Well, see, what I was thinking is the he did something that broke some small object or something like that that woke the ghost up. And he was mm -hmm. kind of a standard broody lost teenager at the time. Well, remember, you're, you're going into training when you're like five or six. Okay, so... So how about this? Standard, irresponsible five- or six-year-old, then. Well, maybe he found something of this ancestor's, just found it or was kind of quietly led to it in some way, and he keeps that with him. Okay. Maybe it's something related to that thing. I don't know that necessarily needs to be something magical. Maybe it's just something with some importance to that ghost. I was thinking like a sash or something, because, you know, ascetic. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be something... I mean, it could be something valuable that he just keeps, but he's, ne you know, it's never going to be something he sells or anything like that. Yeah, I was I was also thinking something kind of unassuming looking, though. Sure. Well, I mean, any sort of trinket might work. But then the question is, why is it important and what needs to happen to it? Because the whole point here is we're talking about, you know, motivation for your character, giving them a direction to go in. I would say maybe he found something of an ancestor's that got moved a long way from where it should be, and he's the only one around that's got the freedom to move as a monk where he could actually get it back to where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Maybe he doesn't know where it needs to go and the ancestor doesn't know because the ancestor is just kind of confused and is telling him, hey, you need yeah. to do this thing. And the it's ancestor dropping. thinks it's somewhere in the Crablands and he's like, no, I'm, I've told you for the 30th time we're up in the Dragon Mountains, it's okay. Right. Or he, the ancestor is just giving cryptic clues, like all good ghosts and spirits, rather than, no, I left it right here. It's uh, under the tree that blooms in the full moon. You know, some weird poetic. Yeah, that could work. He's just like, that's great, granddad. Do you have a map? <laughs> yeah. Some maybe, you know, other landmarks that kind of lead to it. 
Yeah. Preferably from the South. Right. And he's <laughs> figuring out a puzzle, whatever it is. It's probably got to be something important to his family because that's one of the huge themes of L5R. Okay. Actually, how's this? He even knows where it needs to go, but for some reason he can't take it there because those lands were contested and they're under the control of another clan now. Could work. We'll have to... Bounce that off of our GM, yeah. That's the sort of thing that, if it were that simple, I think it would have been done by now, right? That does seem like the sort of thing that could be accomplished in a couple of sessions, though. Well, it does. And we can make this, you know, a journey sort of thing, but I don't know what else the GM's trying to do. But that's an interesting idea. I either. He's got something that he needs to take with him until the ancestor is satisfied. And maybe the ancestor will never be satisfied. Or the ancestor wants him to accomplish something. Because if I remember correctly, Haunted is, you know, the, the ancestor ghost is always pushing him to be better and better and better. And it's distracting. And, you know, if he ever doesn't live up to those standards, the ancestor has a huge problem with him. Yeah. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it is a quest to do something just ridiculous, like punch down a mountain or something absurd. I, I have no idea. But I think that haunted sort of thing, what does the ghost want, will get you thinking maybe in the right direction. Okay, so we've certainly got a more detailed backstory, but how do we set this up for that character to grow and change besides the obvious one that's in there of, well, maybe the ghost will influence him and, you know, for good or for ill, and he'll he'll kind of change based on that coaching and guidance and prodding right. and thrashing that he gets from the ghost. Right. Well, of course, the obvious thing is, if this is take X to Y, well, we've got ourselves a, a journey story, and what does he meet along the way? Has he ever been out of the Dragonlands? Has he ever been out of the temple that he's been yeah. raised in? Okay, now we have that, oh, wow, this is all new kind of thing. And so he'll certainly go from this wet behind the ears kid to somebody who's more experienced with the world and has at least seen places outside dragon lands. Maybe he doesn't like them. Maybe he does. Who knows? You know, or if he's an older man, maybe he's going back to family lands where he has to deal with the reason that he left to join the monastery in the first place. You know, actually, to make this easier for the GM, if he's got another story, maybe he has already gone to wherever he needs to and done whatever he needs to do with this thing of the ancestors, and now he just needs to get it back safely, and he's on the return trip. Perhaps. I think any of those will We'll work. have to get in touch with our GM and talk to him about that, but... Yeah. There's definitely some food there, but yeah, it's... I, I think we've probably got some good hooks for, for my character. Let's do yours. So... Mine is a Shugenja, which is essentially a priest-slash-wizard kind of character, for those unfamiliar with the setting. Think Shinto priest, but not quite as Shinto-y. <laughs> More slinging fireballs and wielding huge clubs made of rock. Eh, kind of. And that's that's one of the interesting things about this character. Normally, you, you have the priest character as usually a fairly unassuming sort of person. They, they're a very learned, scholarly person. They're not out there swinging swords. The Tamori clan that he, or family that he comes from is more martial. It's probably the most martial of the Shugenja schools, and they are more willing than most to say, all right, well, let's settle this matter with swords, by which I mean I'm killing you right now, <laughs> which is interesting. And I think this may be a good starting point because the rest of the Dragon Clan is all about, well, you know, we're we're pretty mystical sort of folks. We're looking to master ourselves, etc. And the Shugenja are all about that, but they're also about drawing steel much more readily. And that's an interesting conflict, interesting contrast. Where does that come from? 
And of course, the big disadvantage that this guy has is uh, he's cursed by the realm, specifically kind of the realm of the hungry dead. Zombies and other undead things just hate him. And now I can only picture that as one of those terrible internet ads, you know, zombies hate him. (laughs) Congratulations, you've created clickbait. Yes, it's zombie clickbait. And the whole point is that he's the bait and they're going to click him. And by click him, I mean, eat his skull. So... It's a bit of a problem. So the question okay, is, so we, we where does that a, come from? We have a zombie magnet priest and a crotchety monk traveling together. Yeah, that reminds me. Your ghost is probably going to hate me. You know, Yeah, probably. That's going to make for even more interesting story. So, you know, that's always a good place to start. That's a trait of his. I don't know that there's as much momentum in that. I mean, I'm sure that's, hey, this is something I deal with. But it's something that he deals with all his life. It's not something he's trying to fix. Right. Uh, You know, maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's something that he has to react to all the time. I like the idea that that's a family curse. Okay. But that's just me. So the question then is, you know, where do we go from there? Has his willingness to be a little, you know, more violent than most other Shugenja, which is a trait of his whole family, has that got him into trouble maybe? Okay. So I, I, I like the idea. How does that leave him open to change, though? Because that that seems like a way of getting a lot of plot moving, but it doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to make him turn into much of a different person. Because this right. seems like the sort of thing he's been dealing with his whole life and has kind of got his methods for dealing with down. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something where he has he needs to change in order to fix a particular problem, one of his own creation. Okay. Does that work? Probably. Here's the real question. Do you want it, do you the player actually want to get rid of this curse at some point in the story arc or do you want it hanging around if we go back to these characters? You know, it's a good question. I kind of like the idea because it is such an L5R thing that this is just a family curse and there's no way he's going to get rid of it. Okay. He can manage it, but when he has children, it's going to be passed along, right? Okay. It's just his line has this curse. His branch of the uh, Tagashi family, or the uh, Tamori family, is just going to deal with this. Right. And he's got spells. He can deal with it. He's got weapons. The hungry dead can, in fact, be cut down and run through just fine, just like everything else. So how has that affected his attitudes? How has that affected his relationships? Mm -hmm. What does that do to to define who he is rather than what he deals with and what he can do? Yeah, and see, this is what I'm struggling with. (laughs) Because I've got a great portrait of a character, but he's not headed in any particular direction right now. Some of this may simply be maybe he is there along with your character. I have no problem in setting up the game in such a way that he is there to assist your character in whatever his task is. He's the sidekick in this particular one. Because in the last, in the crane thing we tried, your character was kind of the sidekick in the backup to the politician kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was his bodyguard, actually. Right. Bodyguard for the courtier. And it's a political game. I have no problem with it being this is your bit and so here's, here's the sidekick. Here's something that just came to my mind between your curse and my character's haunted thing. Mm-hmm. And once again, we'd have to get the GM in on this. But what if I was haunted because of your curse and getting rid of that family curse once and for all is what's going on and that will get rid of the ghost and the curse at the same time? They're somehow linked together, and it's like, okay, we need one person from this family and one person from this family, and everybody else can't be bothered or is too busy or is too important. So here's what needs to be done or what we think maybe might be part of what needs to be done. Now go do it. Right. 
there are a lot of different lore things we can get into. Maybe it's something where these characters need to travel into Gakido, the the realm of those hungry dead, in order to fix the problem permanently. Well, and I think that would also set up some interesting interplay between both of the characters because they have vastly different perspectives on this. And also that NPC that's kind of bolted onto the side of my character and that he's not going to like your character at all because he's, you know, he's somehow like tinnitus or something for anything that's not living anymore. But he can't just tell my character to leave you on the side of the road because we need you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's possible. The question then becomes character development, though. Yeah. Right? We, we come back around to that. What is what is he doing? Is there something that he has to do first that requires a character change? Is it just, hey, let's set it up so that as we go along, we're going to change? There's a lot of different ways somebody who's essentially an undead magnet could react to their predicament, right? I mean, you could become cynical, you know, and just kind of this very fatalistic, grim view of the world. Um, you could get kind of a protector complex, you could be kind of sulky and why me? Mm -hmm. You could have a lot of bravado about it and try not to let it you know, affect you at all. How does your character cope with that? Because that seems to be one of his kind of biggest and most defining Okay, now see, traits. I think you said something really good there, which is bravado. Maybe this is something where he need he's having trouble living up to those uh, standards of Bushido that samurai are supposed to live up to because this has sort of warped his perception of how the world works, right? You know, maybe he's very courageous, but he has trouble following his proper duties. Maybe he's he's kind of a, a prideful and less honorable samurai and priest than perhaps he should be because, you know, oh no, I'm making a name for myself dealing with these ghosts. Well, you know, they come for me and then I take them out. Well, and both of us have something in common. Both of the characters have antisocial. Which, considering yeah. that both of the players are introverts, isn't really all that shocking, but... Yeah, also, it's a really cheap, easy flaw, honestly. Yeah. yeah, it is. But it's basically, oh, there's something about him that makes his social roles less successful. Maybe it's just he's kind of a known jerk and is usually pretty prideful and not as self-effacing as samurai should be. Or maybe it's that, you know, he's a zombie magnet. Yeah, could be that. But I kind of like the idea that being a zombie magnet has made him... Kind of a jerk. <laughs> Just kind of a jerk. Yeah. And that needs to change. The problem is is how he handles Bushido, right? He's not living up to a, some aspect of Bushido the way he should, and he needs to learn that before he can really do whatever he needs to do. At the very least, it's a thing that's missing from him that he needs to sort out. Yeah, I'll buy that. Okay. I think that's probably enough for the shortish session that we're looking at doing. Yeah, and it's certainly enough for an example. Yeah, and hey, look, we've got interesting characters. We've done some backstory work, which is nice. We've got some stuff to bring to our GM. Yeah, which I'm sure he'll be excited about. Yeah. And then he'll be excited to hear the, the thought process and go, ah, I should bring that into the game too. And we'll go, oh no, not that too. <laughs> yeah, he's not one to leave good stuff on the table. No, he's very good at this. So I'm pretty satisfied with this. I think we've kind of hit everything that we can come up with. But if, as always, we love your feedback and we take feedback all sorts of ways. Anywhere you want to start a discussion, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, yeah, email us directly, whatever. Yeah. If you want to just talk about it with us or if you want to talk about it with the community of listeners, both are awesome. If you're a Inroads Ministries fan as well, you may want to go out to their Facebook group, The Tavern. We always uh, share our episode into that as well. And there's often some discussion that crops up on those episodes there if Facebook is more your thing rather than Google+. 
All right. I think I think we can call it at this point. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, this turned out pretty good. I was a little worried that we didn't have enough content, but hey, here we are. Yeah, never underestimate our own ability to ramble, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, listen, from both of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. And we will see you next time. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.